Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. But let me say something to you about struggle. Struggle is not bad. Now, I didn't say it feels good, <laughs> but struggle is not bad. Most people want to avoid a struggle. But honestly and truly, a struggle is the thing that God uses to strengthen you and to prepare you for the place that you're going. Chris Valentin says it like this, that suffering is training for reigning. So if you are not, if you don't learn how to navigate a struggle, you will not know how to navigate freedom or abundance. I was in a season in my life where I was very frustrated. I was paying off a lot of debt. We didn't have enough money coming in. It was just really frustrating. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not even ready for your freedom yet. And I'm like, oh, I got assaulted by Jesus today. You know, but, but what he was saying is that you're, you're not, you have, to, you have to overcome a mentality before you overcome the reality. And so I really want to talk to you today. In fact, when I was worshiping, the Lord said to me, I want you to look up struggle in the Bible. And I mean, I, I have a whole sermon, you know, called struggle today. And I didn't even think to look it up yesterday in all my studying. I didn't even look the word struggle up because you're going to see in Greek that this is another word that I'm actually referring to in English. So I actually decided to look it up in English and it's only in the Bible once. And I want to show you where it is as the platform to jump into the rest of this word. In Genesis, the 25th chapter, Isaac gets his second wife, I believe it is, Rebecca. And he begins to cry out, which I'm not saying go get a second wife, just so you know. I'm just letting you know what happened here. And so Isaac begins in verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger, which is opposite of the culture, because the kingdom is always opposed to the culture. So by being against the culture, you're actually for the culture. So this is so now you have who are these children in the womb? It's Jacob. And Esau. So look at this. His prayer leads to a struggle. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want you to say this. Prayer, prayer leads to struggle. Struggle leads to prayer. Prayer leads to understanding. Okay. So this desire for children, which is godly and holy and important, and there's some things that if they don't bother you deep enough, you will not do anything about them. So if injustice doesn't make you boil on the inside, you will not be moved with compassion. So there's things that... If it doesn't bother you deeply, it will not move you. Are, are, are you with me? Most people in their life do not change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. This is, this is, this is the human you know, uh, reality. So now, you know Jacob. Jacob, through a struggle later in his life, guess who he becomes? Israel. So a struggle leads to transformation, but there's also struggle for blessing and favor and promise. There's a struggle. We live in a culture that doesn't want to struggle. 
You have a 14 year old kid who gets on YouTube and he wants to tell you how to automate videos to make $23 million a year so that you don't have to struggle. Now that's one in every 10 million people and if you figure out how to do that, I'll give you my, my cell number, you can sell me. I mean, I'm, I'll celebrate you and, I, and I'm not gonna be player hating on you, I'm happy for you, but nine out of 10 people or 99 out of 100 people are gonna struggle before they become anything, have anything, or do anything, there is a struggle that precedes where they're going. That struggle is internal. Sometimes that struggle is external. Like, for example, the founder of Rolex. Did you know that the founder of Rolex was an orphan? The founder of Richard Mille was an orphan? Jobs, wasn't he adopted? You want me to continue? I can continue, but I'm not going to continue. You, you, you understand the, the point that sometimes before greatness, there's a great struggle, which many of us don't want. And so we will look to evade the struggle through money, evade the struggle through education. We will try to evade the struggle through compromise. We will try to evade the struggle by living to please people. But the struggle is necessary for the blessing. Listen, if you don't go through a struggle, you will never value what you have. Do you understand? Let me say something to you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Do you know why I have, I'm going to use just two people for the feelings today. Do you understand why I have such a value for Isaac and Deborah? Because when we started, we did not have an Isaac and Deborah. I could not value them at the level that I value them on the inside of my own heart if I would have had that from the beginning. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say that to you to, to help you to understand that it is okay to struggle. All right? So if you feel bad because of it or you feel worn out in it, it's okay to struggle. A good father will let his children struggle. I'm going to tell you something that I felt the Lord, the Lord speak to me on and I did. Years ago, Justice was stuck in between two couches. Not stuck in a, in a dangerous way, but he couldn't get out and the couches were close together. So it wasn't like he was, you know, at risk. But, and he was there and he was looking at me like, like Dad, uh, rescue me from this. And I looked him in his eyes and I said, you can do it. Get out. You got yourself in there. Get out. He did a dip. Picked himself up. Wiggled himself out. I was setting a precedent in his life that if I come and rescue him, he'll always need to be rescued. He'll never man up. And that's what happens with people and children. They, they, parents enable dysfunction. And then the kid is 26, but he behaves like a child, and you're still bailing him out. It's okay to struggle. The Christian life described, take up your cross and follow me. Which starts with first denying yourself. You cannot even take up no cross unless you first deny yourself. So self-control is elementary in, in Christianity. Having rule over yourself. Well, you made me feel a certain type of way. No, I didn't make you feel anything. Those are your feelings. And it's not my responsibility to manage your emotions. I tell that to married people. I love my wife. It's not my job to manage her feelings. Those are her feelings, not mine. I'm not her savior. Jesus is her savior. I'm not, I would not make a good savior. Trust me. <laughs> 
Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Do you know the word race in Greek? Struggle! Fight the good fight of faith. Paul the young Timothy, do you know the word fight? Struggle! Contend for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. Do, do you know what contend? Struggle! Race, fight, and contend. Struggle! People said, I didn't come here to learn about struggle. I came here to learn about victory. There is no victory without a struggle. You can never win a battle if you do not engage. Now, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. Which I, this is what I want to camp out and spend most of the day. The day, I mean. <laughs> the, day. The, <laughs> the Lord revealed my heart, you know. But uh, so anyway, most of the time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I want to spend most of this morning on this letter. And this is something I want to really, because sometimes we, we, we just don't. We sometimes dehumanize the Bible, which is not helpful because the same way that Jesus is fully God and fully man, the scripture is fully God, from God, but through a pen of a man. Same way Jesus, the seed from God, but through the womb of a virgin. So how I handle the scriptures really shows how I feel about the Savior and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit I'm talking about. So, I want to really come to the Scriptures with a heart of humility that I understand that God wants to speak to me, but first He was speaking to someone else, and if I, if I miss what He's saying to them, I cannot properly apply what He wants to say to me. Like yesterday, I was in the beach all day. I, was, I came back to look at Dominican. I was sunbaked, tired, hot, just not, you know, not wanting to really sit at a computer all night. And I sat down at my desk and I said, Lord, these are your people. What do you want to say? Immediate shift from what do I want to say? What do I need to do? It's not about me. It's about him. So that changes everything. So Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy's name means dear to God. And I want to say something to you, whether you feel this or don't feel this. You are dear to God. You may not feel dear to God. Maybe not all of your decisions are a reflection of being dear to God. But you are dear to Jesus. You matter to God. In fact, God said, I would rather die than live without you. That's, that's really pretty serious. So if you are watching or listening, you are dear to God. You, you, you have to believe that. If, let me say one thing to you. If you don't believe that you matter to God, you will make self-destructive decisions where it will hurt people that you matter to. Your, your, the, you will, your biography will never outperform your theology. You, you will never have a more powerful life than what you believe about Jesus. Your, your theology is the thing that determines your biography. Alright, so... Paul is an apostle writing to a young pastor. And Paul is a spiritual father writing to a spiritual son. On Sunday when I wake up, I usually have a text from Pastor Jason. A text of encouragement almost every Sunday morning. In fact, last Sunday I shifted and talked about an offering because of the text message he sent me at 6 a.m., which I don't wake up at 6 a.m. So I look at it when I woke up and go, oh, that's beautiful. And he was talking about, for those of you who didn't hear it, you should hear it. I was talking about how Isaac sowed in a famine and reaped a hundredfold. 
in a famine because we're, the kingdom is no famine. There's no famine in the kingdom of God. There's no recession in the kingdom of God. So we've got to learn how to position ourselves in the kingdom. So that was a... Anyway, so he, he texts me. Now, I look forward to these texts because they are from a genuine place of I don't need anything from you. I just want to encourage you. Which is... Which is um, it's a very different place in your life when you're, when you're in a position where you don't really need anything from people and you're really doing it for people. It's really quite an interesting place to be. So anyway, I, I, want to, um, I want us to feel that. Most of us have never received a letter from a pastor or a spiritual mentor. I've only received one. I've received many offerings, many checks, many blessings, uh, but actually a letter from a pastor to me, I only received one in my whole life. I received more, um, what do you call those? Priority mail checks as gifts than I have received letters. It's interesting. And uh, not that I'm against that, but, but it's, it's rare when you have a personal tailor-made letter to you. It's very meaningful. I think, I think letters matter. Um, anyway. So in uh, 1 Timothy 6, Paul is writing to young Timothy. He says this, Let as many bond servants or doulosses or slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now, in our context, we don't have, we're not slaves and we don't want slaves and we want to free slaves. But in this context, slavery was a part of the culture. Paul writing about it doesn't mean he's affirming it, that it's good. In fact, he uses his apostolic authority to come against it in the book of Philemon. So if you're wondering if Jesus is for slavery, no, he took like three million people out of slavery in the Exodus and his death is the new Exodus so Jesus is not into slavery so people white people have misused the Bible and not just white people uh, Arab people and all types of people have misused the Bible to affirm something that the Bible doesn't affirm just so you know but here what's happening is Paul is writing on something even deeper than a current social situation Paul addresses the motives of the heart which is always deeper than the situation or the circumstances. So you see this in the, in the Ephesians 5 sweep through where he talks about wives, husbands, children, and then he talks about uh, slaves, and then he addresses masters. And so even in his address, he reorders it because in a Roman culture, in a Roman household, masters would be addressed first, he addresses them last which is the kingdom of God, again, which flips the social order upside down. Just so you know, because the last will be first and the first will be last. And Paul doesn't get that idea from himself. It's Jesus' idea, but he fleshes it out in real writing. When you're reading the epistles, whether they're the epistles to a church or a city or a city in a church in a city or to a person, you're, you're, you're reading someone trying to flesh out the gospel and its values and its priorities and its way of life in real life with real people, which is usually quite messy. And so here what Paul addresses, and let me continue in verse 2. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So Jesus defines or redefines how we relate to people and how we treat people because how we treat people clearly speaks about our faith. When someone starts a new job, I always tell them, don't go in there and tell them anything about yourself or your faith. Be quiet. Show them, don't tell them. I was working for a guy years ago. I was probably like 20 years old. And I was working for a company in Paramus called Pipeworks. And I, I, I did all the, the grunt work because I was the youngest guy. But they, they used to give me a truck to take home, a big box truck. 
and the guy, I was really reaching the guy for Christ, and he would have all these crazy dreams, and anytime he, I was in his dream, like he was with me, he was safe, and he, he really, and, and like the first week I was like walking, working with the guy, the main boss took the Lord's name in vain, and I'm like, don't say that in front of me, like I don't want to hear that. And like, I, I, you know, I was really crazy. And so I said, like, don't, don't, don't say that. And so anyway, they used to call me Meat. So they're like, Meat, let me get this straight. Let, let me, because let me, I, I did all the Meat work, you know. And so they're looking at me and he's going, Meat, let me get this straight. So it's Jesus first, then you? And I'm like, you got it. I said, that was pretty quick of you. Because he understood that I was willing to risk my job for what I valued more than money. Do you understand what I'm saying? So how we treat people and how we interact with people really says what we really believe. So that's why the whole telling people that you're this and you're that and you do this and you've done that is really boring. I don't know if you've ever listened to someone incessantly talk about themselves, but usually it's a self-defense mechanism. And it's very tiring when someone tells you about themselves all day long. It's very draining and it's not, I'm just going to leave it there. Okay, verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which accords to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. So the Bible is clear about there are times in which you should withdraw yourself from the fellowship of certain people. Now here in verse 3, pride is defined as teaching any other doctrine than the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if someone lives with a presupposition that they don't need Jesus, do you know what that is? Pride. Now, the right teaching or the right belief should lead to the correct behavior. So the teaching or the doctrine of the Lord Jesus should be expressed in praxis or in practice by living a life that is indicative of believing Jesus. We see that you believe Jesus in how you live your life, in how you relate to people. He's going to show you later in how you relate to money, in how you... And so he's saying that anyone who thinks that the purpose of godliness is for gain, like financial gain, you're, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Like if you think that a church or a ministry is a hustle, go start one. <laughs> go start one. I'll be your first monthly partner. Go start one. I dare you to go start one. <laughs> Anyhow, that's laughable. So anyway, yeah, it's classic. So anyway, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now this is important because the Stoic and the Greek, uh, the, the Greek people, the Greek philosophers, they believed in self-denial and, and they, they, but here's the problem with them. The root and the motive and the foundation is self not Jesus. So the Christian basis for contentment is not self-sufficiency, which is what the Greek philosophers taught. The, the basis of contentment for the Christian is not what we have or what we don't have, but who has us. Are you with me? So that there's, there's, so you could, you could be coming, you, you could say, I am content, but the foundation and the motive of that contentness is not, is unclean. It's not accurate. So this is, this was the thing with, with some of the Greek philosophers. They were very into self-denial, similar to like monks. They had that, that martyr spirit where 
they wanted to deny themselves and they could not even enjoy life which I want to talk to you that's a curse which I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that later I'm gonna let the scripture get into that so anyway false teachers are motivated by money money is to be managed it is not a source of motivation if money is your source of motivation, whether it's in a ministry or in your secular job, you will not do your job well. When someone goes for a job, if the first thing they ask for is how much does it pay, their heart is wrong. It is not the first question. The first question is, what are my responsibilities? Because if you give more than you take, than you take you'll have more than you need. That's a law in the kingdom. If you give more than you take, you always have more than you need. So, so if the first question is how much is it, that, that, that reveals to you what is first. And I can say that because I worked for years with no promise of anything by faith. So I have authority to say that. I can say that. So anyway... Here it comes, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out, which is true. It's like, no matter how rich you are, when you die, that's it. It's over. <laughs> okay, and having food and clothing, uh, with these we shall be content. But those who desire or who wish to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Do you see how many negative words he uses and he attaches with the wish to be rich? This is important. He's going he's gonna to flesh this out later. So stick with me. Don't, don't tune out. Pastor says we got to be broke. I didn't say that. Hold on. Don't, don't check out on me. Let's let, this, let's let the text talk to us. Okay? So now, that wish causes you to fall into various temptations. What did Jesus pray? Lead us not into temptation, which means help me not to desire something that will draw me away inwardly from you. The pull, the drift. Wait, this, don't worry, just hope. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, hold on. Now, and then he uses harmful lusts or longings which drown men, that's one, in destruction and perdition. He's like, I want to be really clear. <laughs> this is a very harmful desire. Don't worry, there's good news. Now, for the love of money, not money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let me, let me give you an example. Behind the abortion industry is not people that go, oh, I love women and I want them to have a choice. Uh, women are so amazing. So then why are you killing the woman, the unborn woman in the womb? Behind that is the love of money. Behind Wall Street and the corruptions and the nefarious things is the love of money. Behind the trafficking of humans is the love of money. Behind the cocaine industry is the love of money. Behind the organ, you know organs? You know they kidnap little kids in Africa and Latin America and pull their kidneys out and let them die so that Billy can get a new kidney? Behind that is not someone that goes, oh, I just want to save a life. It is the love of money. Now, someone gives their own kidney, then I, I, I respect that. 200,000, I'll consider it. No, it's fine. So, so, I got two of them. So, but I'm just joking. So, so, but now, behind that, 
is the love of money, which produces all types of evil behind the porn industry. It's the love of money. Behind the alcohol industry. It's not like, man, I want you to have a few and have a great time. Behind that is the love of money. So at least you have to understand what you are interacting with. The pharmaceuticals, thank you. The drug dealers who wear suits and ties and go, hey, pal, revenue's up. Shareholders are happy. Behind that is the love of money. Now, if you don't know that and you don't see that, you'll be drawn away towards something and you'll really be sadly disillusioned by it. Because there's a whole other sense of disillusionment that you experience when you get what you want and you find out it's not actually what you really want. That's disillusioning. When you get your prayers answered and realize you were asking for the wrong thing, that's real disillusioning. That's as bad as disappointment. Okay, don't worry. Okay, now, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. So, this love of money, where does it want to take you away from? The what? You see what it's about? It's about what you believe and what you trust in. Do you know the only socially acceptable thing that someone can do to miss church is either if they're sick or if they're working? With real Christians. Real Christians don't do excuses, just so you know. Oh, I didn't feel like it. Be a parent. Let me know when you feel like it. Oh, it's inconvenient. Your whole life is inconvenient. You think a Navy SEAL guy chooses when he gets thrown out of a plane and where he lands? No, he signed up. This is what we do. You know what is socially acceptable? I couldn't come to church because I had to work. Do you know why? We live in a culture that prioritizes money over God. And socially, it's acceptable to Christians. Go to the Jews and be an H. Go to be an H... They'll shut their website down and they'll say, I won't even take your filthy money on the Sabbath. Leave me alone. Come back tomorrow. Muslims bow down to Allah and rock. The Jews are producing people that will die for land. Muslims are producing people that will kill for a cause. And we are mostly lukewarm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't, I mean, I struggle with that. Just sharing my struggle. That's okay. I feel like Jesus is worth more than that. And this is not like shame or condemnation if you get caught up late at work or something. But, but this is, this is a, an issue of the heart and what has become normative and socially acceptable to people who shouldn't accept that. And that's the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age wants us to accept things that God does not accept in the name of compassion and tolerance. No, I love you, but I do not accept that. Okay. For some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So you will either be pierced by the cross of Jesus or you will be pierced with this longing and this desire to be rich. And the reason is because you think then you will have the power to do what you want to do. But life in the kingdom is not about what you want to do. It's about what he wants to do. Do I want you to be wealthy? I do. Do I want you to be healthy? I do. But I don't want 
that to be first in your life. Because it will cause you to stray from the faith. And you cannot contend or run your race or fight your battle if you have strayed from your place. The enemy tries to cause people to move from their place, to get them out of position, to get them like a fighter who is off balance. Okay. But you, O oh man of God, flee from these things. Flee. You know, Paul tells him for, from only a few things he says flee from. He says flee from these things. Flee from that idea of money. Flee from that love of money. Flee from that. Flee from and draw yourself, uh, get away from people that think that godliness is somehow a hustle. You have got to be out of your mind. I'd rather sell drugs. I'm, I'm just telling you God's honest truth. I'd rather sell drugs than believe that I'm going to hustle people in church or manipulate people. If I was about your money, I wouldn't talk to you the way I talk to you. So anyway, but you, O oh man of God, flee from these things and pursue. So now here's the thing. If I, if I, if I, get, if I stray, I cannot fight or contend or run, and I cannot pursue what matters. That's the, that's the danger of distraction. The danger of distraction is that I cannot apprehend or lay hold of, Lambano, what it is that God has for me. Do you ever play dodgeball when you were a kid? We had a brutal trick. Do you know what the brutal trick is? The brutal trick is get two balls. Remember that? We used to throw one ball in the air and boom, the other one right at your face. Bang! Remember the balls that kind of sucked in? You know, you foam. They had a little rubber on them so it stung if it hit you in the face. But the goal of dodgeball was to get you distracted so we can nail you. That's the goal of the enemy. To distract us so that he can overpower us because we're distracted. Okay, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. These are descriptions of kingdom life and that which makes you wealthy to God. That what makes, that's what God says, that's valuable. Now don't worry, he's going to get back into real life in a second. Because, you know, some people don't think that matters. But do you know that even in business, if you have integrity, they need you. They need you. Without integrity, nothing lasts. Okay. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold, Lambano. Grab a hold of it, of eternal life. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Christ, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He's using Jesus' trial as an example because Jesus, Pilate washed his hands from Jesus because Pilate knew that he was not guilty. And Jesus did not hold Rome responsible for the death of Christ, but Israel, that's why Jerusalem was judged and Jerusalem fell in 70 AD as a result of rejecting their Messiah. And everyone trying to use Matthew 24 to scare you doesn't even know what they're talking about biblically or historically. And if, the, and if that passage has to be fulfilled twice, then Jesus has to be crucified a second time. If it needs a double fulfillment. These people don't know what they're talking about. When you hear these people, just... Good intentions doesn't mean you're right. Okay, I urge you in the sight of God who get We're out past that. 14. That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus is appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, Kairos. Coming of the Lord is Kairos. Okay. He who is blessed and the only potentate, sovereign, 
He is the only sovereign born king. Sovereign. He didn't have to become king. He was born king. And kings came to give witness to that, which is another thing. Okay, now, which he will manifest in his own time. Sorry, I read that. 16, who alone has immortality, deathlessness. That's what that means. <laughs> Through dying, he killed death. Do you know what that means? That means in the resurrection, death has become an impossibility. And that's the Christian hope. The Christian hope is not you flying away in a cloud like Cupid, playing the strings half naked. That's not, that's not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is an incorruptible physicality that is eternal. So what God did for Jesus in the center of history, he'll do for all of his people when he comes again. That's the Christian hope. All right. Now, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Here it comes. Command those who are rich in this present aeon or age not to be haughty or arrogant, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Here it comes. This, there's good news. You can breathe. <laughs> so, so there's good news. It's like, you thought that was preaching misery to you on Sunday. You know, but I'm not, no, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to preach Jesus and the Bible. But, but here, he says, command those who are rich. Which means to give orders to them. Which means, don't ask them, tell them. You know most people are not used to being told. But they like it. Do you know people crave for someone to tell them the truth? The Queen of Sheba came all that way to tell Solomon what was on her heart. Rich people and people with money and power crave someone to tell them because they're not used to being told. And we have to go, we have to get away from soft Christianity that is afraid to tell people. David in the psalm says, tremble, O you kings of the earth. Tremble. I mean, we need a prophet that will say, tremble to people, instead of looking for a photo op with a wicked politician. Anyway. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. So riches are not to be trusted in. They are to be enjoyed. This is a problem. I have even witnessed people that have tremendous things and cannot enjoy them. And I've worked with them to say, no, 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 you, you can enjoy that. That's all right. Let me read to you Ecclesiastes. 5, verse 19. As for every man whom God has given riches and wealth and has given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Not the Satan, not Wall Street, not the devil, God. It's the Bible, it's not my opinion. It's the Word of God. God is the one that gives someone power 
to receive, to rejoice, and to eat of it. When someone has something but does not have power over it, it has them. And the ideas are very subtle. There's always a struggle and a contention for what has you, not what you have. The rich young ruler didn't have possessions. He was possessed by possessions and he couldn't let go. He had money, but he had no meaning. He was really offered a sweet deal. Imagine experiencing life being rich, 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 having a great life, good life. You're holy, he's rich, he's a good boy. And God is like, all right, cool, come follow me. He would have went from rich to richer. How do you know he wouldn't have been the administrator? After Judah screwed up. Who knows who he could have become? But he couldn't. You cannot administer something that has control over you. You, have you ever heard of Miles Monroe? Do you know who Miles Monroe is? Yeah. Yeah. Miles Monroe is an incredible preacher. He died in his own jet. I recommend if you've got to die, you might as well die in your own jet. And uh, so he dies. But when he was living, he, you know, he was a black guy. And he said, God, what's up, man? You don't like black people? We're poor. This is, this is his black guy. And God said, Miles, I'm attracted to management. If you manage it, you can have more. So you will either manage it or it will manage you. Which is not the healthy relationship as it relates to riches, blessing, prosperity. It's for you to enjoy. This goes back to the same Sabbath situation. The religious people are like, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. No, no. God created the Sabbath for man. It's not about a religious ritual. It's about you being renewed and restored. The same thing, for example, the Bible says if you have a problem with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go and be restored to your brother. What's the point? The point is that God says, my kids matter more to me than what they can give. The relationship matters more than the ritual. So you dump money in the bucket, but you have ought in your heart against your brother. God is always into, this is what the renewed mind understands, reordering the priorities. And sometimes in your life, it's very subtle. It's not like, you know, you're bowing down to money or something like, it, sometimes, this is how I, this is what I found in my life. Sometimes I simply overvalue something. In other words, I ascribe to it too much value. I'll give you something that the Lord showed me personally. I'll be transparent for a second. When I bought that white car, remember the car? I got an incredible deal. In the worst time, in the worst time to buy a car, when they were having a chip shortage, I told the car dealership, my other car is on the way out. It's not, it's, I'm happy I even made it here. But you don't tell them that. I told them that. I don't care. So I told them, I said, this is the situation I'm in. I didn't take a dollar out of my pocket. The car came with $4,000 Giovanni rims, 20-inch made in America rims in California. Are you with me? Because the car did not have heated steering wheel, which hurt my feelings, it had a sports package, not a winter package. I was upset about that. The guy said, we're so sorry you're upset. We'll take $1,000 off the price. So this was a very favorable deal. 
I literally didn't take a dollar out of my pocket to get that car. She'll tell you. I found that car serving Will, taking him to get his license. That's where I found it while I was waiting for him. So anyway, I get in the car and I see a small crack in the seat, which drove me crazy. I was really upset. And you know what the Lord said to me? You're upset because you're used to not having enough to just fix it. Get over that and get used to abundance. You're in a different time in your life. Sometimes things bother us and they trigger things in our life because it's touching and triggering something that God wants to transform. Which is different. This happens to people a lot of times in their life. I'll tell you what happens. You do not have... In your life you have a need. Like a real need. Like a legitimate need. But God comes with a blessing. And you don't get the message. You're still in orphan mode. What about my need? And God goes, oh, I'm above and beyond your needs. I remember I needed like a couple hundred dollars for a phone bill or something. And I had someone send me a $1,600 pair of dress pants. Etro Italian dress pants. Look it up. $1,600 pair of pants. I wore them, which is the perfect time. When did I wear them? I wore them at the most crazy time to Brett and Mary's wedding rehearsal. So I fit right in with everybody with my Burberry shirt and my $1,600 pants that I didn't buy. I needed a couple hundred for a phone bill. Someone sends me $1,600 dress pants, which is irreasonable, by the way. But it's only reasonable when you're broke. God was saying, Adam, I'm above and beyond your needs. God, you have to shake the orphan out of you. The orphan has to get shaken out of you. The need, the, the lack, the, the oh, hold on. That has to get shaken out of you. You cannot be a steward of the kingdom with that type of mentality. So anyway... I'm saying this to say, simply, watch this. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, one, not to trust in uncertain riches, two, but in the living God who gives us richly. Now the word rich, let me tell you this, the word rich and the word richly are not the same word. One is wealth, the other one is abundance. God gives abundance. Wealth is earned, abundance is received. Now, but God doesn't, just because you're wealthy or rich doesn't mean you're rich to God. Watch this. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Ready to give willing to share. Now these are not the same thing. If I give you something, I go, okay, God bless you. This is yours. Boom. Now he takes the water from me. Share is if I open up my pizza box and I go, sit down. Let's share. So these are two expressions of being rich toward God. Giving and sharing, which are the opposite of the world, because the world says rich is. God says rich is. <laughs> In the kingdom of God, you do not have what you made or what you saved, you have what you gave. All right, we're almost done. I was really, I'm telling you, I was trying. I was really trying to keep this under 50. <laughs> All right. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold, Lambano again, of eternal life. Now, 
let me say one thing about eternal life. Eternal life does not begin when you die. If it did, it would be life after death. Eternal life is something that you lay hold of now. Jesus described eternal life as knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So the knowledge of God is eternal life. Christians do not experience death like the world. We're absent from the body, present with the Lord. We breathe out on earth, we breathe in in paradise. Now, those on earth experience that loss, but those who take that next breath, it's not, <laughs> there's no loss there. No more taxes, no more tithing, no more anything, man. No more bills, man. Just pure joy. <laughs> pure joy. No more tears. That's the greatest one to me. Storing up for themselves a good foundation. So in giving and in sharing and in being good, rich in good works, you are actually building a foundation. All right. We're going to get off this in one minute. Don't worry. Oh, Timothy. Oh, dear to God. In today's modern language, you matter. Hashtag to God. Guard what was committed to your trust. Guard. Jesus said, I have kept them in your name. I have. Guard what was committed to your trust. God selected Gideon. Remember that? Gideon was the only one who wasn't robbed of his harvest. Guard what was committed to you. Guard it. Now, we're going to go back to a very known passage. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to protect your future, you've got to guard your heart. Because your future is inside of you. Even, even like doctrinally speaking, the incorruptible seed that is in you, which is Jesus, which is the gospel, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the incorruptible seed at the Lord's appearing, when the Lord comes again, it will cause you to put on immortality. So the incorruptible seed in you will be a harvest of an incorruptible physicality called immortality. So when I say your future is in you, I'm not talking about manifesting or, or you know, burning, what are that stuff that they burn? Sage, you know, or burning weed. I'm talking about the kingdom of God is within you. Christ is within you. Your future is within you. Amen. It's not out here. God's priority is always in here. Because whatever is in here will work its way out, out there. That's the thing that I, I really, when I went to Dubai, one of the most, thi the thing that I really couldn't get over mentally, <laughs> I don't know if it was emotionally, it was mentally, is that you're looking at this tower and it is overwhelming. In fact, if you're standing in front of it, you have to put, if you have a fat little neck, you got to put the fat of your neck on your back and look straight up just to see the top of it. That's how big it is. It stands a thousand feet above the Freedom Tower in New York City. A thousand feet. When you go in the elevator, it says, you have just now passed the Eiffel Tower. It just slaps the world in the face. Oh, yeah. Open smack. Boom. And so, but the thing that is so crazy to me is that existed in someone's mind before it came into matter. Before it became real, before I could stand on it, eat in it, drink in it, go up the elevator, take pictures... It was in someone's mind, which means that person is greater and bigger than the building. You think of how little we are. We're little. Little people built that thing. That's insane to me. You got to really protect and guard your heart if you want to protect your future. This is my last verse. Some of you have already left. My dad already left. So, Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart 
with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now this, this is a definitely misinterpreted scripture. The word for heart, some of the meanings there, are guard your inclinations. Your determination, what you determine. You know what your inclination is? You know what we have, maybe you have a propensity toward, some people have a hard time, they have a propensity to crawling into a shell, <laughs> like a little turtle, and, and you know, isolating themselves. Or the other people, they have a propensity toward acting out. If they're having pain, lashing out, because that's going to make it better. Or hiding, that'll, that'll make it better. You have an inclination toward something. Watch that. You, you have, me too. Watch that. Guard that. If you don't guard that, you'll be in trouble. The struggle, it makes you stronger and smarter. Do you know sometimes failing at something makes you more efficient? You know sometimes injuries make people stronger? Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? I got stronger after bulging discs. I got stronger after this muscle snapped off my bone. Sometimes failure and mistakes strengthen you. Okay, you can't press, run, or fight, or contend without a struggle. You know why it's a good fight of faith? Because we win. It's not a good fight if you lose. <laughs> Unless you can pay 20 million to get a beating on TV, which maybe that's a good fight too. But, you know, it's a good fight of faith because we won, because Jesus won. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, which means that Jesus' victory has to get into your feelers. When was the last time you talked to somebody going, I'm feeling quite victorious today because of Jesus' victory? All of their feelings are rooted in them or how they're experiencing things. The mind has to be renewed because we, we, we respond from a renewed or unrenewed mind. Okay, next. If you avoid the struggle, you won't be strengthened. So don't avoid the struggle. Now, I'm not saying go get yourself into unnecessary conflict or confrontation. That's foolish. But what I am saying is if there's something that you have to struggle in or struggle with or struggle through, don't view it as something to break you, but view it as something that God is using to build you. Okay. The struggle is what God uses to build you. You know the difference between Saul and David? Saul wasn't tested. No struggle. No struggle. He became king right away. No struggle. Do you know that Jacob doesn't become Israel without wrestling? Contending also grapple. So there, there is transformation in the struggle. Let's pray. Lord, we have at times, myself included, have despised the very thing that you're using to build us. And today, Lord, we recognize that sometimes an answer to our prayer is actually a struggle. And it's actually a struggle within us. Where was the struggle with Rebecca? 
The struggle was within two babies fighting. So the answer to prayer was a struggle within. I don't know what you're going through, but God is with you in your struggle and he is strengthening you in your struggle. So Jesus, we do not want to despise the struggle. We thank you for it. And we thank you that you're strengthening us in it. And we thank you that it has informed us that we are not self-sufficient, but our contentment is in you. And I thank you that you give us power to enjoy the blessings and wealth that we'll have it and it won't have us. And we'll be rich in good works. And we'll guard what has been entrusted to us, starting with our own heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Again, Wednesday, if you are being baptized, please be here if you are humanly able. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.